And then I will do as the king has said. So it seems like there's, I'm going to say more when we get to the banquet, but can we have a special party with just you and Haman, right? Mm -hmm. And up to this point, Haman, um, uh, Haman, Haman doesn't know that Esther, one, is Jewish, doesn't know that she's targeted by his edict, doesn't know she would have a stake in saving all the Jews. Mm -hmm. All, all we've heard uh, from, from Haman is he's not like second in command in the kingdom and then his you know, clever plot to kill all the Jewish people. But like this, this is one of those things that wouldn't make Haman suspicious. This is like the first lady inviting the Joint Chiefs of Staff over for a, a banquet. But, okay, yeah. plausible, yep, okay. And Haman wouldn't be suspicious of anything bad. In fact, no. Haman's ego feeding him. He's like, oh, things are good. Everything's coming up roses for me. Um, and he's thinking everything's going to be great. Yeah, I mean, he leaves, and he's good. At, he's in good spirits, and he sees Mordecai, and he's like, he gets all mad at Mordecai again, and, um, oh, that Mordecai, yeah. <laughs> oh, that Mordecai, and he goes home, and he complains to his wife about Mordecai, and she's like, why don't you just kill him already? Like, you hate him so much, just yeah. dispose of the man already. How <laughs> often did Haman have to complain to his wife before her go-to is just kill him? It, and it, like it's interesting, like, like this is another one of the points in the story that I think is funny because when after Haman sees Mordecai, he goes complaining to the wife, and she says, "How about I'm your little cherry? I'll build a giant gallows, and you can hang him on it. Have that thought in your head before you go to the, the big old dinner with with the king." And like again, it seems a little bit dark that building a gallows is gonna and and even like the gallows is built fifty cubits high. Like you don't get any deader just because it's a taller gallows. <laughs> But, like, again, the sort of, like, the humorous exaggeration of, like, you know what'll make him feel good, what'll make my husband feel good? I'll give him the picture, not just any old gallows, hang him high, right? Just like in the Western, hang him high. So 50 cubits, that's roughly 75 feet tall. That's, that's quite a gibbet. So, there, so there's a part, so I'm, I'm aware that this is supposed to be ridiculous, but mm -hmm. who is supposed to be viewed as ridiculous in this story? Like, when Haman's wife is suggesting this, like, A, killing him, and B, killing him so ridiculously with such a tall gallows, is she being serious, or is she just also poking fun at her husband and going, like, it, and waiting for him to catch on that this is absolutely ridiculous, but then he goes and actually does it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, is she supposed to be viewed as ridiculous for suggesting it, or is this just Haman? That we're supposed oh, to yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of like, well, this is ridiculous, but who is it ridiculous for? And yeah. how small does this ego have to be that after the queen puts on this huge, glorious banquet for just him and the king, like, that he gets brought down by one Jew sitting at the king's right. bed. Who's, yeah. who's, like, whose crime is being alive. Who's yeah. kind of being alive and not bowing to him. Yeah. Like, he's, that, he's not wearing clothes he's wearing sackcloth ashes he's been not eating because he's been fasting so i'm sure he doesn't look healthy it's it's just so like uh so ridiculous in, in a way that this feels to me like the the the, the way a hunger strike works like i think mm -hmm. about how gandhi you know does the hunger strike to try and get attention for uh, indian independence and that like Part of it was being this visible presence was meant to be like a thorn in the side of the powerful that was either supposed to agitate them into giving in or at least to shame them into, I'm being a really rotten jerk here. And that Mordecai can't be just disappeared. He's, nope, there he is again. And it forces Haman, like, and it seems like Haman, in, in, when, you see one of the, when you see a moment like that, when you see Gandhi doing a hunger strike, either it's meant to move you to, oh, I'm being a jerk, I should change my policy, 
or you sort of dig your heels in more and you know, your sort of heart gets hardened like Pharaoh's does, and no, I'm gonna, mm-hmm. I'm gonna be even worse. And it seems like Haman has convinced himself that he is really the victim, that he is the one who's been grieved in the first place. I remember reading a line by Rene Girard that was something like, when people do violence, even the worst people who do the most terrible things, they convince themselves they are first and foremost the victim. And once you told yourself, I'm the one who's really being agreed to, I'm just getting even, I'm just getting justice, it becomes possible to do terrible things because you're convinced you've been attacked first. Um, and my goodness, how many times throughout history that's been played out too, and how much of even later attacks on Judaism, like the Holocaust is all about building like a campaign of they're the ones who are you know, doing terrible things to us, they're the ones who brought on our loss in World War I, they're the ones, and once you get people to believe, yeah, we're the victims here, we're just standing up to fight back for what's ours, once you accept that logical move, it becomes possible to do the unspeakable. Mm-hmm. And it seems like th- this is a this is a a case study, a warning about this is exactly what happens to Haman. Yeah. Um, so we don't know yet that we haven't been revealed what's going to happen at this um, uh, banquet or whatever. But at least we know Esther isn't in the dark anymore. She knows that there's a plot to kill her people and that she's the only one who can do something about it. One, this is one of the things I love about how the story plays out, that we don't even know yet, we the readers don't know what, what Esther's plan is, and she knows more about the plan than we do right now, and we're going to find out. Yeah, because like up until this point, like I think the assumption was that she was going to go before the king and his court and plead for her life and for the lives of her people. And she doesn't. Instead, mm-hmm. she goes, hey, yeah, come and have a banquet. You know, just you two. Um, and then they're, they come. And so it's like, okay, now's the moment. Now she's going to beg for her life and for the lives of her people. And, you know, the king again asks, hey, what can I do for you? And she again goes, oh, come, to, come, come tomorrow. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feed you again and have another banquet. And, you know, and I think everybody knows, even the king and Haman, that she has a request that she's going to ask for something. Mm-hmm. But she's stalling and she seems nervous about it. And, um, you know, like everybody's like even more intrigued. It's like, it's like watching a rom-com and, you know, are they, are they not going to get together? And like, they almost did, they almost did. And then, oh, nope, something happened. And like, they got pushed further apart again. And it's like, constantly on the edge of your seat of like, are they going to get together? Are they going to get together? Yeah. And then, just as you think it's going to happen, cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah. This feels to me almost like, and I'm just going to own my full on comic book nerdiness here, um, but so uh, in the, the Avengers movies and the, in the Marvel movies, there's a moment when um, uh, Thanos has, is collecting the Infinity Stones and if he can get them all, we'll wipe out half of all life. And one of the heroes gives up the, the, the Infinity Stone that he has and gives it to Thanos. And everyone's like, why would you do this? We're trying to keep him from getting all these stones. And it's revealed he knows this is the only possible way to save the day. It looks like defeat. This would be the one to kill the bad guy, not to give him the thing he's asking for. And only later do we realize, no, this is setting up a longer chain of events that will allow the good guys to win in the end. But when you're living through that, you're like, what's going on? I'm, ex- I'm expecting the, the direct paths. You know, stop the bad guy. Kill him right now. And that's not how the story works. So, chapter 5 ends with... Um, you know, Haman building these gallows and, and just waiting for the mm-hmm. chance to be mm-hmm. able to kill Mordecai. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to jump into chapter 6 because... You know, I'm excited. Uh, wait, wait, wait. 
Before we get to chapter six, yes. can I talk about honor and shame real quick? Oh, sure. yeah, good. And power and authority? Yes. So, in the hierarchy of things right now in this kingdom, it's Xerxes as king, and then immediately below him is Haman, because Haman currently has the signet ring and is the one in charge mm-hmm. of the plot against the Jews. And somewhere down the line is Queen Esther. Um, but she invited them to uh, to the banquet, like, and then again... And so now Haman is in between those two banquets. He's going home. He's bragging to his wife about all the honor and things that Esther is bestowing on him. But in this moment, he kind of reveals Esther's power and authority at this moment because he talks about how she has summoned him to eat at her table. Mm -hmm. She summoned him. Like, that is something that you can only summon and send people that you have power and authority over. And so Haman, in his bragging about how awesome he is, is actually conceding power to Esther. So, cool little factoid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, chapter 6, we are now going into... So chapter 6 starts the night between the two banquets. Mm -hmm. And the king is not sleeping well. So he gives an order for the book of records to be brought, and they read them to the king. And it's recalling the time where Mordecai saved the king's life from a plot against him. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. It, it feels to me like every, every like five sentences in this book, there should be a cue for <laughs> insert dramatic <laughs> And so King Xerxes asks, well, what honor, what distinction was given to this man for saving my life? And then they, they say, well, um, nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nothing was done. Uh, and so the king says, who's in the court? And they say that while well, Haman's in the court, and he comes to the king's palace uh, to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows, and the king's servants tell him, Haman's here, standing in the court, and the king says, let him in. So Haman comes in, and the king says to him, what should we have done for a man who the king wishes to honor? This is a great moment. Like, you just have to hang here for a moment, right? The, the king is clearly thinking, I'm going to do something good for Mordecai. I, mean, I feel bad we never did anything for him. And Haman is so full of himself, he is convinced the king must be talking about me. He wants to honor me. After all, I got the royal invite to the banquet. So Haman says to the king, For the man who the king wishes to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and a horse that the king has ridden, with a royal crown on his head. Let the robes and the horse be handed over to the one of the king's most noble officials, let him robe the man with the king's wishes to honor, and let him conduct the man on horseback through the open square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done for the man who wishes to the king wishes to honor. This is so specific. <laughs> this is so like these are all the things, King, I want you to do for me. Exactly. Because I am so awesome. I am your second in command. You gave me the second ring. Like you, you I am so looking forward to to being the one that gets to be processed out. Mordecai's gotten all this attention because he's mourning and, and covered in sackcloth outside your gate, but look, I'm going to be on your horse that you have ridden, wearing the robes that you have worn, the crown that you have worn. You can just tell he's been thinking about this for yeah, a while. Yeah, my gosh. He just repeats his fantasies to the king. Yeah, right, this right. is a long-standing fantasy since he's been placed in this, in this position but of power. This is how he falls asleep every night, is just imagining this right. moment. Right, right, right. And it, 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 I mean, the, the, the tension and the irony are just absolutely delicious. Like to me, this, this is, again part of like the way you're, the way to read this story is instead of like scratching your head saying this is improbable. Like this is how the story goes. It's one of those stories where 
comical, unlikely things, Shakespearean plot twists happen. And yeah, this is how the story goes, because that's part of the, the divine comedy of it. Yeah. So then the king says to Haman, quickly take the robes and the horses you have said, and do so to the Jew Mordecai who sits at the king's gate. <laughs> Leave nothing out that you have mentioned. Oh, Xerxes loves this plan. Like, he's like, oh, yeah, great. This yeah. is brilliant. Yeah. Let's do it. And like you, you, like it's it's delightful to me because like in, in this one Xerxes doesn't realize what he's doing because he doesn't no, realize no, he's, he's, he's oblivious to everything. He's just like, yeah, good idea. I'm glad I'm glad I asked. You came up with great ideas. I wouldn't even thought of half of that stuff. And then, and then salt to Haman's wound. He's the one yep. that is leading. Yep. Like what a like. That is not a position of honor, just leading a horse that somebody else is riding. That is something that stable boys do. Mm -hmm. That's something that footmen do. And here it is, Haman, right hand of the king. Like, oh boy. Yeah, so Mordecai, after he's paraded around the square, goes back to the king's gate, and Haman turns out to be the one who's now mourning, and goes home with his head covered in shame. Yeah. And again, he, we get a conversation he has with his wife. He tells his wife and all of his friends all this happened, and uh, friends and advisors and the wife say to him, Oh man, if Mordecai, before whom your downfall has begun, is of the Jewish people, you're not going to prevail against them, but you'll surely fall before him. So, like, they're the ones who, like, you know, encourage him, egg him on, like, Yeah, let's get all of his people. And they're like, Oh, this is so, a bad idea. So, yeah, they just delivered, like, like Oh man, Haman, this is not going to end well for you. And at that moment, the king's eunuchs arrive. And take him to mm -hmm. Esther's second banquet. And like the the the, the narrative, like the, the, the crafting of this narrative is just good. You know, like this is this is good plotting. It's like just yeah. at this moment, and now now Haman doesn't have any chance to escape. Now he's going to be brought in. There's no way for him to run away. Now we're sort of in the end game moment of like, okay, how's this all going to play out? But the king wants to honor Mordecai. He's now convinced he wants to do good for Mordecai, and it's we are left at Esther's got her cards to play now. Mm -hmm. Now, that brings us to the, the end of this chapter. Um, but, like, just, it, it feels like this is just one of those moments to savor the, the unspoken divine presence of all. So, again, like, at no point do we get a narrative going, so the Lord ordained that you know, the king couldn't sleep. But it's like in the background of, like, huh, it just so happened that tonight the king couldn't sleep. And his plan to cure his insomnia was, I know, read some boring history books to me. And what do you know? It just so happens that they read the part about how his life was saved. That like again, it's you can hear Mordecai's words to Esther hanging in. Who knows? But that this happened just in such a way to allow this to happen, and without saying, "Yep, it was definitively God." There's just sort of like, "Yep, this looks like it's got divine fingerprints on it." You know. Other things we want to say here. Tune in next week for our <laughs> thrilling adventure of Haman, Queen Esther, Mordecai, and Xerxes. And what will become of that giant 75-foot gallows? It'd be a shame if it goes unused. Huh. <laughs> I guess we'll have to wait and find out next time. Well, thanks everybody for joining us here for this episode of Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all. Bye. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 